know what else is really interesting? Blade Runner The Final Cut. Yes. Yeah, so you know what? As I as I always say, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> that's that's the start. There it is. There's a welcome that's, to that's Cinepraisal. That's the thing. Yeah, welcome to Cinepraisal. You know, it's... It's this thing that we do. We weren't just, you know, vamping for 20 we, minutes. We, we, we weren't we weren't talking about WandaVision for 20 minutes. No, uh, we're, we're going to start our episode tonight on a on a very special, a very special film that's near and dear to both of us. Um, what is it, Adam? Did you already say? I, I mean, I did, but I can say it again. <laughs> say it you know again. what? I love just saying the name of this movie. Blade Runner, the final cut. <laughs> Blade Runner. This is, okay, so this is the beginning of our ridiculous endeavor, our six, possibly seven or eight part series, <laughs> where we're going to go over every cut and sequel and and short film existing of Blade Runner. Um, I, and I will say, we are not planning on doing these consecutively. No, that which, would drive us nuts. <laughs> not, only, not only would it drive us nuts, but it also raises the possibility that we'll keep talking about this throughout the rest of the season <laughs> throughout the rest of the whole yeah throughout the rest the, of our basically lives. The, the yeah the podcast <laughs> just like you know and we're going to get back to blade runner but yes we are finally <laughs> finally getting started with blade runner the final cut on the final the final cut we're starting with the final cut cuz that that I don't think we discussed it beforehand, but that was what I wanted to do as well. Yeah, because same. I think it, make, it makes the most sense to start with this uh, because it is the most complete concrete version. This came out in 2007. Uh, I know because I wrote it into the title of the uh, <laughs> of, <laughs> of the cast uh, session that we're recording in right now. But um, it uh, so it's interesting because this one does vary a lot from the original theatrical namely in the lack of narration, the detective noir narration in her monologuing from Harrison Ford. There's also a number of uh, effect shots and things that were touched up. Um, like, and I'll, I'll point out a lot of them as we go through, but yeah. I think I'm, I'm most excited about this. Um, I, I will say the first time I saw this movie, I did not like it. And mm. it's because I saw it on TV with commercial <sighs> breaks. No. And yeah, this is this is very much a movie that needs to be oh, watched no. consecutively because it's all about setting that tone and building that world. And Ooh. that does not work out well when every few minutes you're getting a Tide ad. So, uh, but I, this before we get started, aesthetic and mood definitely, I right. would say, is very important in this film. But go ahead, what were we about to? I say? was just going to say before we get started, I feel like it's important uh, that we say a couple things. One of which is going to be the disclaimer that I always say, at, not always at the beginning, but usually at some point in an episode. <laughs> do not watch this movie with us unless you've seen it before. <laughs> right. Um, and secondly, in case you are watching it with us and you've never seen it before. Um, there is a sequence in this movie that may be triggering to some because it is uh, what the filmmakers intended to be a love scene, but is through modern <laughs> eyes right. very troubling. So, yeah. It, it's, uh, I, yeah, if it, it's the one thing in this movie that for me doesn't hold up. I think we said in other, I think we said in other episodes when we brought up Blade Runner that it's a, something ha handled better in the sequel than it is yes, in yes. this movie. Uh, so, but, uh, but yeah, shall we get started? Should we do a countdown? 
I'll this, count the, down. The final countdown. That? Okay, I'll hit play. Okay. Anyway, it's going to be three, two, one, go. Right? Yes. Okay. Three, two, one, go. I see a tree. I also see a tree. A tree being formed by lines. Look at those lines go. (laughs) And this is definitely not our second attempt. Nope. (laughs) One of these days. The Lad Company. (laughs) The Lad, the Mad Lad Company. Uh, We, (laughs) in association with Sir Run Run Shaw, through Warner Bros, Warner Communications Company. One of these days, we're going to be able to start one of these movies and not have any... (laughs) Any kind of hiccup or problem. You know, it's it's important to have goals. <laughs> and we get hit. We get hit with the 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 beautiful Vangelis score uh, almost immediately. Blade I, Runner. I have this score on vinyl. It's a nice red disc. It's Ooh. it's great. I picked it up at uh, the last bookstore actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is the last bookstore still? I hope it's still there. <laughs> God, I hope so. Uh, nobody knows. Nobody's been outside. No. You know um, what? I, I did take a, uh, like, sometimes I just got to get out. And so I went for a walk and uh, got a scooter and I scooted through downtown. And yes, the last bookstore was still there. So we got that going for us. I just like the phrase, I scooted through downtown. That's a, uh, I wish I could say that more often. I mean, what's really to stop you? <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. So, in my, in our previous, in our false start for this, no, no, we don't need to talk about that. There is no false. <laughs> there is no previous, like <laughs> that you will for, never for hear our, for our like most loved listener. This this will be instantaneous. No need to talk about it. <laughs> but I I would like to address the uh, numerous cuts for those who are unfamiliar with with the fact that Blade Runner has a bunch of cuts. Though I think that's synonymous with the film. I think it's a little hard to <laughs> to not know it. Um, but but there are uh, five that I'm aware of, which are uh, oh wait first we have this. Early in the 21st century, the Tyrell Corporation advanced robot evolution into the Nexus phase, a being virtually identical to a human, known as a replicant. In red. You can take it from there. The Nexus 6 replicants were superior in strength and agility, and at least equal in intelligence to the genetic engineers who created them. Replicants were used off-world as slave labor in the hazardous exploration and colonization of other planets. After a bloody mutiny by a Nexus 6 combat team in an off-world colony, replicants were declared illegal on Earth, under penalty of death. Special police squads, Blade Runner units, had orders to shoot to kill upon detection any trespassing replicant. This was not called execution. It was called retirement. It was called retirement. (laughs) Nice. Los Angeles. (laughs) Los Angeles, November 2019. We are... This has happened. What are we doing? This... this... I mean... Although they got the date wrong, it should have been 2020, but... (laughs) In all all fairness, I would say we are living in a post-apocalyptic hellscape, so it's not that far off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do feel like more as more and more as time goes by, it does feel more and more like Blade Runner. And I remember the first time I was at a gas station and I saw that it had a video screen next to my pump showing me advertising. And I'm, and I know this is making me sound, it's going to make me sound old, but it's just, I remember seeing that and going, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's happening. <laughs> uh, and this great iconic shot of the eye. But, uh, but yeah, uh, about the cuts, there are five cuts I'm aware of. There's the theatrical cut, which has the voiceover narration from, uh, from Mr. Ford yeah. and that I'm not too fond of, but done in the style of a noir detective story. Uh, there is the international theatrical cut. There is the... Which really, it just has like a few more shots of violence than the regular theatrical cut. Right. And then there's the director's cut, which isn't the director's cut. <laughs> and then there's the final cut, which is the final cut that we're watching now. And there's also the work print version, which yes. I don't know if people were aware of before the box set came out. But Well, so uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is we only got the director's cut because I think it it may have been CineFamily that was doing a screening here in L.A. Uh-huh. And they asked to get a print of Blade Runner from Warner Brothers. And the print they got was the work print rather than the theatrical. And oh. like, that was like, oh, wait, there's more prints of this movie? And it became so <laughs> popular that Warner Brothers is like, all right, cool, let's do a director's cut. But uh, I think Ridley Scott was making Thelma and Louise at the time. And mm. so he wasn't going to come back. And they're just like, all right, well, we'll take all this extra footage. We'll give it to an editor and we'll call it the director's cut. <laughs> Great. Even though it wasn't. And this is this is the director's cut, which is the final cut. Right. <laughs> so I hope we've made this confusing enough. We didn't make it confusing. They did. Uh, this, <laughs> this actor was actually Harrison Ford's stand-in for uh, I, I, for Sean Young's screen test. Really? Yeah. The one, the one sitting in on yeah, the, doing the interview, right? So it's it's like he's basically like the substitute Deckard in like every possible way. <laughs> huh. This this opening is still just so engaging. Completely. <laughs> I love the base concept of the Voigt Kampf test. It's just like, yeah, so these replicants, because of their short lifespan, don't, just like children, they don't have a- any proper mechanism to express emotion. So. Right. Yeah. Or, or empathy, necessarily. Yeah. There's so much uncomfortable tension, too, just going back and forth here. To quote uh, Donald Glover, he talks about how children are terrible people because empathy is a learned skill. <laughs> like, the only reason why we're not all horrible to each other is because we know that if someone did something to us the same way, we wouldn't appreciate it. That's empathy. Children don't have that because they haven't learned it yet, and therefore children are terrible people. <laughs> Right. If that's one takeaway you can have from our podcast. It's that children are terrible people. (laughs) I'm joking. I I know some of our (laughs) listeners have children and I'm sure they're lovely. (laughs) Right. And in the future, if air either of us has children, uh, we will then completely change our opinions. Nope. Uh, Nope. I'm I'm drawing a line in the sand right now. Future kids, watch watch your shit. (laughs) Uh, and you'll notice, I wanted to bring it up earlier because they had like one prominent shot where you could see it, but uh, the replicant's eyes, there's often a little trick they're doing where they shine a light to make it so that the... Um, there's like a glint. The pu- there's a glint in the pupil that you can kind of see. And it uh, it's a recurrent thing for all the replicants. And they even do it just a little bit to Deckard uh, uh, every so often. 
just to just to confuse you. <laughs> it's one thing I got to say I really appreciate in uh, in 2049 that they still don't give you an answer one way or the other about whether or not Deckard is a replicant. Yes, I loved it. I was so worried they were going to like spell it out. And they never do. They're very they they keep it but they don't they don't disregard it either. Yeah, I I love that too. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, in the production design that uh character behind him is the symbol mm. for origin. Ooh. To look back at that, yeah. So yeah. you know, it's this is where he starts. This is his beginning origin. That's great. I, I did actually never realize that. Yeah, I've watched a shit ton of behind the scenes on this. <laughs> but I was gonna say this uh, box set that I have here um, is the 30th anniversary collector's edition Blu-ray, um, and included in it because you brought up production design is uh, a is a bump my mic there is a hardcover. Little kind of small hardcover book. The on one side it's the art of Blade Runner, and then on the other side it's uh, from the archive. So it has a bunch of production photos and has a lot of drawings. Yeah, I, I have uh, the uh, I have the DigiBook edition. Oh, nice! And like, yeah, it's got a lot of the like storyboards and stuff, which like a lot of like the production design of this movie is really where it lives because uh, Harrison Ford kind of makes no bones about the fact that they weren't really getting a lot of direction in terms of the acting because Ridley right. Scott was so focused on the production design and the vibe of the movie. I can see that. I always feel like Ridley Scott's a better, uh, aesthetician. What, what's the word? It's not uh, aesthetician. Like, est, est, aesthetic, aesthetically minded human. There you go. Uh, <laughs> where that's kind of his main focus. Also, in that uh, whole scene, they're speaking a kind of mixed language. Uh, city speak. They actually, what is it called? City speak. City speak. They in the theatrical cut, he does explain what it is. Yeah, and I think it's a it's like a mix of of Asian languages and like Portuguese and other uh, Hungarian. Like Hungarian, does it? So it's like it's if you listen back to it, uh, you can kind of hear that they cobbled together this kind of interesting. Uh, phonetic structure. It was for... actually uh, Edward James Almas's idea. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There he is sitting in the cockpit. Again, this production design, I feel like not only influenced like all sci-fi moving forward, but every every anime, <laughs> like every every single mm -hmm. thing, like Ghost in the Shell. I, one of my, uh, I can think of like a Battle Angel Alita is like one I would think is very inspired by a lot of what's here. What's funny um, is like, I showed this to my old roommate who was very into like ghost in the shell and, uh, and Alita as well. And like, I showed this to him and he's like, wait, when did this come out? And I told him 83 and he's like, my entire life is a lie. <laughs> uh, and here we are in union station. And that's an apt statement considering what this movie's about. Too. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, was Mobius? Mobius was a designer on this, right? Like that's, I'm not crazy about that. I uh, don't know. I think if uh story, let's see. Do, 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 do. I feel like he was, cause there's, I'm looking through here and there's like in this booklet and there's some storyboards that look like they were drawn by Mobius. Uh, and so I'm. A, a quick point of interest in the theatrical cut. This is where in uh, the noir voiceover, you get to hear Harrison Ford use the N word. 
Oh, right. <laughs> Another reason to uh, love the theatrical cut. I, I The theatrical cut, they forced him, basically, to do the voiceover. Yeah. There, there's like a lot of uh, like unused audio that's basically just him being like, this sucks. This is terrible. Why are we doing this? <laughs> and he did it poorly, kind of on purpose. To, I, well, hoping I've, that they I've heard that. I don't know if I 100% believe that because Harrison Ford's too professional of an actor to do that shit. But I think just at the end of the day, the writing for the for the narration, it doesn't belong in the movie. It wasn't originally part no. of the script. It's just it wasn't great. It was a studio mandate. No, he sound he sounds bored. He sounds like he's just not into it. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> and here we have the chicken, first chicken origami, Ugh, popped collars, man. Stop it! Unpop that collar. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's he's Harrison Ford. He can pop a collar if he wants. What are you gonna do? Fight him? <laughs> and uh, apparently. What was it? Didn't he get a haircut like on purpose uh, before? I want to say something he did. He did like uh, he did something to his hair <laughs> before they filmed this because he wanted to make it so that he looked different from how he looked in uh, Star Wars or Indiana Jones. Let me check the. That makes sense. Check the timeline here. <laughs> uh, there's a deleted scene that would follow this, uh, but he would actually go and uh, interview that Blade Runner that we saw Leon shoot at the beginning, and the guy's like in a uh, like a medical pod. Hmm. Does it end up in any of the cuts? No. Or is it just completely it's just deleted? gone? I've seen I've seen still Lost, photos of like it. tears and rain. Sorry, go ahead. We're not there yet. <laughs> We're very not there yet. Don't, don't 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 take away from one of the best lines in this movie. <laughs> He's he sounds so mumbly in that line. Let's see here. So Star Wars was in seventy seven. And Raiders was in 81 and Blade Runner was in 82. So I think it was he wanted to make sure he looked different from from Indiana Jones yeah. specifically. And he also, I think, refused to wear a hat. Um, that like, makes sense. Because they wanted to give him like, yeah. a, a detective noir sort of hat. But the thing is, the fedora was so iconic for Indiana Jones. I think there was that concern that it would look too much like he was trying to be that same character in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, it's... I would say that uh, part of the reason why this movie, like this movie bombed at the box office. Yeah, it did uh, not do well. It was drastically ahead of its time. And uh, a good good portion of that is because if you watch the original trailers for it, they cut it together like it's going to be an, another uh, action movie. Mm. And it's like they 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 hype up the fact that it's Harrison Ford. Like it's Harrison Ford's next adventure. And it's like... Yeah, everyone went in expecting this to be another Indiana Jones. And it's like, no, that's not what this is. Did you feel that way when you were first watching it, that you had that impression of what it was going to be? Honestly, I don't remember, but probably because I was huge. Like, I still love Indiana Jones, but I was like diehard into Indiana Jones at the time. Yeah, I, and I can see that, that if you got used to him as... 
Han Solo and Indiana Jones, these kind of uh, rascally, you know, rebellious characters that you see. Lovable jackasses is what I like to call them. Yeah, the 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 pre, um, uh, what's his name from Parks and Rec and Jurassic World and Chris Star Lord, Chris Pratt. Thank you. The pre Chris Pratt uh, kind of thing where it's like. The forerunner of that was definitely those kinds of characters. It's like, yeah, he's kind of bad, but that's kind of you know what? Like, Like, I got nothing against Chris Pratt, but I, (laughs) I always feel like people people point to him, and it's just like you know, there's other people who do that part, right? Like, right. (laughs) I I think it's just because he got very typecast as that for some reason. Well, like the first one that comes to mind for me is always uh, Brendan Fraser in The Mummy, right? Like he's 100 like I'd say he does that part better than Chris Pratt ever does. That's true. I I I love Brendan Fraser and I think the arc of kind of what ha- has happened to his career and life is kind of sad to me and I really would love to see him just come back in things. I think he's I mean, a he's, marvelous he's actor. I mean, he's he's on uh he's on Doom Patrol now. That's true. He is on that. Yeah, and like really like he'll he'll say that a lot of what it was was the fact that his he ended up basically damaging his body so much doing the mummy movies that like for years he just couldn't do anything. So he's back now. And here we have Rachel. Mm-hmm. I'm Rachel. I love the colors. I want to bring up palette that this movie, though it's muted, has just excellent color choices throughout the whole thing in a not obvious way. Apparently, just... this was the most difficult VFX shot for them to pull off. Hmm. And I love that they cut a shot from this scene into uh, 2049. Even though it doesn't match at all, it's like, it's fun to just see this scene pop up again. <laughs> sure. Um, I can't remember what moment it is they show, but probably, probably a shot of Rachel. Um, a fun fact is that and this is very so. Oh, and all the cascading uh, lighting. The completely the unmotivated cas- cascading lights. Yeah. I think caustic lighting. Yeah. I think we brought that up in, in Big Lebowski. <laughs> that, like, that one scene that has all of this watery lighting. Yeah. That's... <laughs> but it looks uh, great. Another fun detail is that the columns in this room, when they went to shoot it, uh, like, because again, Ridley Scott designed all the shit. And, uh, the columns in this room, when they went to shoot it, the uh, crew had basically set them up upside down. Oh. Because the design, like, they're top heavy. Uh, the ones by the window are a little bit different, but the ones, you know, further into the room are top heavy. And he, like, basically the entire production just shut down until they went and turned the, the columns all over again. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he just showed up to set. He's like, what the fuck is this? Columns aren't right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I wanted to say something here. Very silly. A particular tick of mine, not tick, but a preference. A thing that I do is that whenever I have hard drives attached to my computer, I always name them. And same with my computers and everything. I give them names of robots or uh, androids or what have you. And I have had I have had a, a Rachel drive. I still have my Rachel drive. I and I had a Pris drive, mm. but the Pris drive died. 
appropriate appropriately at one point <laughs> but um, maybe more appropriate if you put a bullet through the middle of it but right, yeah, right. <laughs> and i was like i shouldn't have named that drive pris damn it <laughs> but um but uh but yeah i always like just to show the the affection i have you know for for this film like even even just like something silly like that and there's a shot of rachel's eyes there's the the eyes yeah the owl was doing it too. A lot of smoke. Smoking isn't cool, kids. Don't do it. I, I mean, hope it looks. No cool. kids are listening to this. <laughs> I mean, it looks super cool. Don't get me wrong. In this shot, Rachel looks really cool holding that cigarette. But don't smoke. But you know what isn't cool? Lung cancer, <laughs> emphysema, <laughs> having your lung look like you know fucking grilled pork. But boy, she looks cool. Yeah, no, not denying that. <laughs> we just want to emphasize <laughs> how much, What's the how thing, cool right? like, smoking is, we, but don't do it. <laughs> we grew up in that weird, like, tailing off period where, like, a lot of the stuff we watched was like, look how cool smoking is. <laughs> like, we were the Joe Camel generation. <laughs> like, we were the generation, they were, they were specifically <laughs> using a cartoon character to show us how cool smoking was. <laughs> A lot of eyes, a lot of focusing on eyes in this movie. It's a, I love that. Yeah, because they're the windows to the soul. Yeah, and I love that visual motif because we start with the eye. We have them analyzing eyes to see if they're replicants. We have the eye, the guy who crafts the eyes later. We ourselves are analyzing the eyes to see who's a replicant. And I like that um, Mr. Uh, Whalen. Uh, Tyrell. Tyrell, sorry, sorry, Wayland. I'm, I'm, I'm confusing characters. Um, Mr. Tyrell, wrong Ridley Scott wrong franchise. Ridley, wrong franchise. But Tyrell has those um, octagonal-ish glasses, though, like with hard sides, and even that tiny little detail. Yeah, just to show that he's a harsher figure, and there's like kind of a wall between his eyes and yours. So it's like subtle. And I sound like I'm bullshitting that, but I think it's true. I think like that's a, a decision you could justify, you know, it's like it says something about him, the specific type of glasses that he's wearing. I feel like there's escalation with uh, Jared Leto's character in uh, 2049, just him being like he's physically blind, right? He's got sensors and whatnot that allow him to see in like other uh, other visual ranges, but he himself is physically blind. Yeah, and I do want to point out <laughs> that there was a weird little glitchy thing that happened there with Adam's voice, which Adam probably could not hear. I could not. But I just wanted to I wanted to acknowledge it that uh, Adam is turning into a replicant, uh, turning into or may have been one the may have been one the whole time. We're not sure. Um, and that's my justification. No, it's because we're, we're not sure why that's happened. That happened in the, uh, Lebowski, Lebowski episode for some reason. It may just be an interface issue, but we have no way of, <laughs> we have no way of fixing it at the moment. So deal with it. And then we have a murky, disgusting city street, which just rain <laughs> pouring. So a, a lot of, uh, a lot of the aesthetic of this world, uh, what they call retrofit future, is actually a result of the fact that, like, just for monetary reasons, they couldn't build, like, a whole futuristic world. They just ended up using the Warner Brothers backlot and, like, bolting 
futuristic shit to the like standard New York, uh, like New York setting that they have on the back lot. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of the, like the general aesthetic of this world that, you know, retrofit, like, yeah, it's still the same old buildings of our time. They've just kind of adapted them slapdash, like in a slapdash way to make them work for this new, darker future. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I kind of added benefit of that. I think there's something that my dad had said about this film that, that it, it's almost like this, the feeling of this world is very much like they didn't throw away old stuff. It's just there's newer stuff kind of stapled on top of it, you know, and it's like, right, even though that maybe was a thing they just had to do in order to make the sets at all. I like that. I like the idea that it's like, well, the old world isn't totally gone, but, you know, we are putting all these new things on top of it. And so you get that feeling of layering uh, and it, it works. It could feel it could feel like it doesn't, but it does here. They did a very good job of of mixing uh, old and new. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about uh, is the one fact thing. that... Well, <laughs> I, yes, there are plenty of things we haven't talked about, but I'm just talking about this one thing. Anyway. Um, yeah, one thing we haven't talked about is that this is based on the Philip K. Dick novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yes. Which is very different. Yes. But I will say, similar to how Jurassic Park the novel and Jurassic Park the movie are very different, Th yet they complement each other. I, I strongly recommend reading the novel, in both cases, I strongly recommend reading the novel because it gives you more, more context for a lot of this world, and then this movie also gives the book a lot more context. Like, mm. they complement each other very well. Yeah. Well, Philip K. Dick saw a cut of this, right, before... Uh, I don't think he saw a full cut of the movie, but he saw a cut of the lot of, a lot of the visual effects shots. Yeah, and I yeah, can't... and he was just floored by it. He's like, I don't understand how you did this. And we have Rutger Hauer, rest in peace, uh, mm -hmm. doing one of his most well known roles um, before he went on to be the hobo with a shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I. I'm curious because I still have not yet read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, but I I would like to because... It, I have a copy somewhere. It it seems to me like it... I, from what every time I like read about it or looked into like parts of what the story was, it seemed fascinating. It seemed a little more um, existential in some ways or like not quite as... Like this, it weirdly seems a little more grounded. Yeah. This The film. Yeah, it, it's... Like one thing that they uh, I find really interesting is that in the book they go into the fact that like you see the blimps going around about you know a new life awaits you in the off world colonies. In the book they make it very clear that like anyone who can afford to leave Earth already has. Like right. literally the only people that are here either a can't afford to leave or b are physically too infirm to leave. Well, uh, that's what's very similar about this to. Um... I brought up Battle Angel Alita earlier. Alita has a world that's like that, where it's like much more heavily filled with cyber cyborgs, cybergs, uh, with <laughs> cybernetics. And uh, but but essentially all the like upper class people have already gone off to to Far East, Zalem, whatever they call it in whatever version. But like they've gone up and then you find out people have already populated space beyond that, which is very Blade Runner. 
and uh, people, all the poor, you know, <laughs> people are the ones that have been stuck on this decrepit, you know, de dying planet, essentially. Um, like uh, the the character that uh, J.R. Sebastian in this is based on in the book is actually like he's he's not like a designer. I think he's he's a uh, he's a mechanic for artificial animals in the book. But the reason why he's still on Earth is because he basically there's so much uh, residual radiation in the world that he is suffering from like a, a mild mutation mm -hmm. that it causes. Uh, basically like issues with his brain and he just physically can't leave earth. Hmm. Morphology. This scene always feels so sad to me. Yeah. One of the best, one of the best lines is about to come up. Yes. It's so good. Sorry. And this, this always happens with this movie where, and that's why it's like, it's one of those films that's hard to talk over because you just get, start getting pulled in. At least we do. Um, <laughs> and I remember one time just putting this film on back in college. And like, I, th I think I just put it on just to test uh, playing like MKV files or something on, uh, on the PlayStation or something. But then like me and my roommates all just ended up spending the next two hours <laughs> watching it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it just has that kind it's of pull. Oh, so this scene was shot in an actual freezer. And yes, and you can tell they're cold. Well, so like the issue that we had uh, that they had with making this is that the lights they were using were basically giving off toxic gas. So they had to like keep shutting down the whole thing and bring in a bunch of fans to blow all the gas out so that they could like light them back up and keep shooting the scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, the way the light just fills his hair yeah. to make it glowing in this shot is just so cool. This tunnel. Is this the tunnel I think it is in downtown LA? It's the second street tunnel, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I recognize that tunnel. <laughs> what lighting, though. Ah, it's just so pretty. And the cars, all the cars, everything. Just, again, but I, to note... I, 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 oh, go ahead. Well, you. I was just, just going to say, I think it's important that we point out, you know, that that was James Hong working in the iWorks there. Yes. And if you are unfamiliar with him, he is... One of the, I'd say one of the most prolific Asian American actors in film history. Um, a lot of people would probably know him as the, uh, as Poe's father or dad in uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies. He was also oh. Lo Pan in the, uh, in Big Trouble in Old China. I didn't know the Kung Fu Panda one. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's like a goose who runs a noodle stand. That's actually one of the best characters is the goose. Yeah. <laughs> there's a moment too where it's like, 
I don't know if they touch on it in the later ones, but in the first one where he's like, there's something very important I need to tell you. And you think he's going to tell him like, oh, you're adopted. But then he like just says something about noodles and walks away. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, that was- I also, I, I really love that Deckard got into the elevator, hit the button for his floor, stood there and then turned and pointed a gun because he didn't realize initially that somebody else was in the elevator. World's greatest but also, detective. Yeah, he's a great detective. But also <laughs> not only that, but he's a detective who's just completely willing to pull a gun because someone else is in the elevator in his apartment complex. Like, dude, other people live here. <laughs> I mean, I would be a little nervous if I knew that uh, what uh, these killing machines were around. Do they know about Deckard yet at this point? Or are they... No, no, they don't know about him yet. This apartment. Uh, start touching on memory. Uh, Deckard's apartment was based on a uh, an actual building that I believe is in... I want to say it's in Griffith Park. Hmm. A right house or uh, I think it's a right house. Yeah, I'm 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 just checking oh. right now. Uh, it's the Ennis house. Oh, the Ennis house, which was apparently for sale two years ago for twenty three million dollars. You should have bought it. Yeah, you know what? Missed it by this much. <laughs> Uh, the Ennis House was also used as Angel's House in the first three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Seeing if I can find pictures of this house. Well, you know, I am annoyed because I was super close to that house and didn't realize it. I'm sorry. Back when I lived in Los Feliz. And I could have easily drove up just to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, although really there's nothing stopping you from just going to see well, it. Well, it's now it's farther. It's like oh, I no. literally could have just taken a five minute drive to where that stupid house is just to drive by it. <laughs> Dude, it's LA. Everything's 40 minutes from everything. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be the Hollyhock house that you're going to bring up, but it doesn't look, the Hollyhock house doesn't look like this. Because that's the one I was familiar with. And that's in the, uh, it's in that little park in the middle of, <laughs> in the I, middle of LA. I know somebody for a while was selling, like you could get these, uh, like the three-dimensional square pieces and like basically do your, uh, do your home with those like wallpaper. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if I would actually want that in my home. Like, it's a very cool-looking aesthetic, but I don't know if I would personally... Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Given everything that doesn't work about their relationship, um, I do think this scene is interesting, though. I think the way that, like... It... Yeah, he just informed her that she's a replicant. Well, backed it up. This is great. The picture, there's some subtle motion on it. Wait for it. Is it in this shot coming? Um, it's like right no. here. 
It's so there cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I forget how they did it too. It's like it's such an interesting. That's another thing I want to bring up about this movie. It exists in the realm of being one of the last fully practical effect uh, features that is like yeah. this kind of a film. Because nowadays, if you make a sci-fi movie and you're not going to use digital effects, what are you talking about? That would, it'd be like, it'd be insane to try to do that. But this film did all of this stuff without special. Of course, this cut we're watching technically does break that a little bit because they did. Yeah, use, technically. They did use certain, you know, uh, techniques now to like sweeten it and touch up and tighten things and specifically one shot later on which you already know what it is but um but yeah like for the most part this was all done practically it feels tangible all the set design and that's i think for anyone who doesn't know what what the pull is about this film because i i've run into that too where like somebody watched it and they kind of didn't like it the first time or get it and the thing that sits specially for me watching this movie is that it it just there is again this feeling that is so visceral about this reality itself and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was grounded in all these practical effects and it it it, it in a way the story is kind of secondary and sounded like that even just from the way Ridley Scott focused on it, you know, like the story was just a thing happening in this world that was more getting more of his attention. Um, but uh, that's what pulls me in is this reality. And I know that's uh, I think that's kind of similarly how my dad felt about it. And the reason I love this movie is in great deal, great debt to the way that my dad loved it and introduced me to it. And uh, he went and saw it like five times or something when it was in theaters. And he was one of the few people, you know, who like really loved seeing it in theaters, I think, because it bombed. But but it was like seeing it on a big screen, like experiencing that world. Um, this world is just so different from, I think, almost any other movie. Even the sequel kind of doesn't quite do it the same. Um, uh, so two things. Yeah, One, yeah. the uh, well, right here, <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen, and she actually cut herself really badly. But just they kept it rolling. Um, but two, they're actually this is Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, even the previous shots where you saw like the futuristic background, like that was you know, a match shot uh, of but on Broadway. So they're right in front of the Bradbury building right now. Those mm. columns, of course, are not actually part of the Bradbury building. But. Didn't they screen this movie in the Bradbury building not too long ago? I was really mad because I missed it. I thought... Like... Uh, I don't know about that, but I did see in November of 2019, I actually got to go to a screening at the uh, uh, old United Artists Theater in downtown. Uh, it was hosted by Larry Mantle of KPCC. So that was a lot of fun. I even got to meet Larry Mantle. So, uh, yeah, Daryl Hannah, this is one of her first movies, but also uh, William Sanderson here. Some of you might recognize him as the sheriff from the first couple seasons of True Blood. But also, uh, I was watching Batman the Animated Series the other day, because that's my current uh, pandemic watch-through series. Right. And uh, he shows up playing a guy who was designing and building a supercomputer. Oh. 
Like, he was building a supercomputer, and the supercomputer was building robots that were replacing people. So it's just like, I mean, if you're going to make that character, you may as well get William Sanderson for it. Why not? <laughs> Wait, I'm trying to, like... I'm trying to like identify. Is there a screening room in the Bradbury? I actually don't know I the don't ins and outs so. of the Bradbury building. Maybe it's the theater. I think there's a theater near it. And maybe that's what I was thinking of. Sorry, my brain was still caught on that. No, no worries. Uh, <laughs> like, so when when they decided they were going to shoot here, uh, Ridley Scott got a lot of pushback on it because the Bradbury building shows up in so many movies. Right. And they're like, oh, you know, everybody shoots there. And he's like, yeah, but nobody's going to shoot there the way that we're going to shoot there. And he's absolutely right. Like, right. <laughs> this movie does not look like the building does not look like any other way it looks in any other movie. Uh, but also what's funny is that the building is also an office building during the day. Right. So they would shoot at night and just cover the floors in like dirt and dust and debris. <sighs> I was just thinking about that, looking at like the puddles on the floor that they're walking yeah. through. And, like, like all those <laughs> mannequins piled in the corner. And like, yeah, they would have to clean that up before the business day started. And of course, now they're in a completely different location because there are no plaster walls in the Bradbury building. It's all brick. That's not unsettling. <laughs> no, not at all. All the books sitting there. This is the last bookstore. No. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and but I can see, I just want to like... If anyone has ever tried watching this movie and they didn't like it and they happen to be listening to us talking about it for some reason, um, I understand. I get it. I get why maybe this film doesn't necessarily work for you because I get that like you watch a movie and maybe you need a little more to hold on to um, and seeing it. And it is a very slow moving takes its time <laughs> with everything kind of movie yeah and if that's not if that's not your pacing then that's fair you know i i i would not fault you for getting bored <laughs> and i'm just someone who loves bored like boring slow things sometimes <laughs> so i i would really love uh when 2049 came out uh johnny walker because they had like if you didn't notice before the uh, police chief or the captain was pouring himself some Johnny Walker hmm. and uh, they had the same bottles in 2049. Hmm. Um, That's fun. And so Johnny Walker actually released those bottles for a limited, limited time and it came with the glasses that Deckard has here. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And just to comment on it, we had the famous unicorn the infamous unicorn scene there. Yes. And I think the transition is different in different versions. So what's funny is that uh, when they went to do the the quote-unquote director's cut, uh, Ridley Scott was, you know, he that unicorn shot was always supposed to be there, but they thought that it had gotten mixed in from legend. And it's like, no, 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 this, this was shot for this movie. It was supposed <laughs> to be here. <laughs> And the implication, of course, is Deckard a replicant? Right. I don't know. Why does he have that memory? Which is almost, I, I mean, it's not, it's like, it's interesting, but it's kind of not necessarily important in a way. Right. What, it doesn't really matter. Um, and maybe that in and of itself is making a point that it doesn't really matter. 
you know, and it's kind of, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's like, what is it trying to say? Is it trying to say that it doesn't try to say anything, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, this is actually the origin of like, anytime you've watched any show where they were doing forensics. Oh, right, right, right. A, is this the like, first time? Enhance. This is the origin of Zoom Enhance. in. That's not how it. That's not how That's, media works. <laughs> right, right. You you can't just suddenly populate it with new information that's not in the original image, but sure. Yeah, well, I, God, what would, the, what would the fidelity of that image have to have been for them to be able to, like... <laughs> I mean, we are talking about futuristic cameras, but... Well, it's just funny because the display itself feels so old at the same time. Okay, so this right here, the mirror... Is actually it's uh, this is a reference to the Jan Van Eyck uh, Arnolfini portrait. Oh, okay. Yeah, because in that portrait, uh, it's a it's a portrait of like a husband and wife, like she's pregnant, but in the background is a mirror, and if you look in the mirror and actually like look very very closely, you can see a self portrait of Jan Van Eyck painting them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And there he is in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite thing in this movie because it makes zero goddamn sense <laughs> is the fact that he like zooms in on the mirror and then you can see like he manages to look around something. Yeah, that's like, not how, does how... This make any goddamn sense. Unless it's like a hologram. I don't know. It's It's like in Star Trek when they'll do that. They're like. Okay, ship, computer, analyze the the structure. Can you rebuild the entirety of this sequence from known materials? Sure. All right, use algorithm to interpolate missing information. You're like, that doesn't... <laughs> you that's, can't that's do that. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> that doesn't work here. <laughs> I love that shot because it's like his right eye is in focus, but his left eye is just... It's like such a shallow depth of field mm -hmm. that not even his entire face is in focus here. And it, it, it just gives you a nice feeling of unease. And it, I don't know, there's something about it. I love it whenever it had like really just intense focus on a particular thing in one, one given shot. Uh, so fun little detail here when he's in the animal market. Right. Uh, basically in the animal market like one thing animals are like live animals are so expensive in this world because of like all the radiation but all of the animals you see here in the animal market are ones that are specifically named in the book do android dream of electric sheep oh okay yeah like there's even a point where like they call out llamas and like you can see a guy walking a llama in, in this scene later on We've, we're having more replicant voice coming in. Great, great. It's okay. It's okay, Adam. See, now you sound fine. <laughs> but yeah, I want whatever enhancing... Uh, machine he has to be able to just <laughs> create information absolutely ridiculous information off of any photograph yeah not a perfect film there are things <laughs> there are things in it that are like okay so uh, okay so he's about to go talk to abdul ben hassan 
in the original theatrical cut of this movie, he walks in there and like the shot stays outside, looks through the window. His mouth did not match up to anything that he said inside the shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what they did was they got uh, Harrison Ford's son to come in and read the lines. And then they basically just so good. Uh, yeah. Ostriches and shit. Yeah. A pony. <laughs> Superimposed it. They like yeah they they actually managed to superimpose it. his son's mouth over his face in this movie. Brilliant! I love that. It's so smart because he happened to be like around the age that mm-hmm. that uh, his dad was at the time. And and the best part, they found him because he has his own restaurant called uh, Ford's Filling Station that at the time was like directly across the street from uh, Sony, which was where they were doing the final cut edits. And that's unique to, that's one of the like unique things to the final cut. Yeah. Effects wise. <laughs> what a fun thing too. Like, I feel like a lot of people bring up, um, <laughs> sorry, puffing into the mic here. A lot of people bring up um, Star Wars kind of going crazy with changes and edits. Um, and that's a whole discussion unto itself. But I do feel like it kind of created the stigma that you can't, alter a film later on because star wars changed it so dramatically each time it would they would do anything to one of the original films but i do think there i mean i i have a lot of opinions about that and none of them are what people expect them to be so (laughs) but but regardless of that i just wanted to say that that in this is an instance where i do feel like this is a a good version of that where if you are careful handed and are being are you know i'm trying to think of the word to say but if you're being like very uh focused with your vision of what you want it to be that changes can actually kind of still improve something years after the fact i think that's what's interesting about the final cut is it really does sort of use later technology to polish this film into something that is pretty much the ultimate version of what it could be and uh, I mean, this to me is, I'd say, is the best version. Maybe I'll change my mind after we rewatch everything. But um, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I think I think each version has its own like bits and pieces that are, are, you know, worthwhile. This is still my favorite by far. But uh, like even even like stuff with the monologue, the work print has. How many worms are in that tequila? Do you see that? It's like the whole bottom of the glass is full of worms. Anyway. Um, no, like the work print has a line of uh, monologue that's actually really good. It's like, yeah, this movie doesn't need monologue, but there's this one line that's just so fantastic. Like, I think about it on a regular basis because it, it's such a good line. Is it the one towards the end when he's watching... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I know the line you're talking about. Yeah, because it's different. It's totally different from what's in the theatrical. Yeah. And it's actually like kind of a nice sentiment. Yeah. I watched him die all night. It was a slow, painful thing and he fought it all the way. Like, yeah, that's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, probably the only bit of VO uh, narration <laughs> that I, I liked in any of the cuts. <laughs> 
Yeah, look like, how many worms are in that. Uh, well, there's less worms now. <laughs> and he seems to be bothered by this one. I guess he wasn't bothered by the other 17 he drank. <laughs> Again, kids, don't smoke. Though it may make your movie look cool. <laughs> this is like so much smoke and rain. And that's why I say like atmosphere in this film is just filled with things to remind you of not just what's in this world, but even like the air itself feels toxic and so unhealthy. <laughs> so he's turning away because the guy and the guy said, watch as she takes the pleasures from the snake. Um, yeah, that was actually they were They had a whole stop motion dance sequence that was supposed to go there. Hmm. And like, I don't know what it possibly could have shown of her taking the pleasures from the snake. And personally, I don't want to know. <laughs> well, wasn't didn't um, the actress uh, end up I'm blanking on her name. Uh, but didn't she end up like actually performing this whole dance scene that got cut uh, well, from the movie? She, uh, she didn't do, she didn't perform a dance scene for the movie, but later on she uh, recorded her dancing with her own snake at home. And it's like, yeah, that's, a, it, it's, 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 it's fun. It's silly. It's just like an older woman and her snake having fun. It's just cause it's like, I can see that where you're like, I choreographed this whole scene that got cut. I still know it. Why not just film me doing it just so it exists like somewhere because it's a fun little thing that it's like interesting because it's like seeing a deleted scene that didn't even become a scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I don't know. Like you, you have to watch it because it's like you watch it. And you're like this. This wasn't going to be in the movie. This is just you dancing <laughs> with your snake. I mean, if if you were like fully in costume on set in the in context, like maybe it would have worked a bit better but uh she was but yeah i would have like stopped every <laughs> he would have stopped everything cold for sure <laughs> the, this voice can we get shout outs to the voice that harrison Ford is uh doing? it's a reference to the big sleep oh okay yeah yet another film this is actually secretly blade runner is the big sleep um just like big lebowski just like <laughs> back to the future uh just like lord of the rings you know like all films really are the big... I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, there's a scene in The Big Sleep where uh, Humphrey Bogart is... He's trying to basically, like, get information off of this woman in a rare bookstore. And so he, like, goes in and he, like, tilts his hat up and he puts, uh, like, glasses on. And he basically just pretends to be gay. Like... It's you getting to watch like what 1940s Humphrey Bogart th thought gay men sounded like. And it's uh. very interesting. Like, he's not bad at it. Like, yeah. Like, oh, OK, cool. Humphrey, I guess. Snake. And uh, it was actually it was Harrison Ford's idea to do that voice. And in the like the commentary track with uh, Ridley Scott, he talks about it. he's like he's like yeah this was Harrison's idea. It's a reference to some movie. I never got it. <laughs> <laughs> Just let him do it. And then he gets punched. 
Punched in the face. And throat jabbed. Ah, future noir Dax here. Um, so I'm interjecting because we had technical difficulties while recording, and there was like a minute gap here while I were talking about it. By the way, there will still be more of that robot voice from Adam. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. Anyway, I'm going to read the back of this director's cut Blade Runner DVD I have here. Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, prowls the steel and microchip jungle of 21st century Los Angeles. He's a Blade Runner stalking genetically made criminal replicants. His assignment? Kill them. Their crime wanting to be human. The story of Blade Runner is familiar to countless fans, but few have seen it like this because this is director Ridley Scott's own version, vision of his sci-fi classic. Actually, it isn't. This wasn't really the director's cut. Actually, that's enough of that because I've run out of time. Uh, back to the past. Taxi. Look at all of these cyberpunks. <laughs> there must be 2,077 of them. Okay, I'm gonna leave. <laughs> so, so yeah, they they had uh, they had very little again because this is all just the the New York uh, back lot for Warner Brothers, and so they actually had very little area that they could cover for this sequence. But you would never know. Yeah, you really wouldn't. And and like they they only had a handful of cars too. But again, you would never know. I have here in this set um, that one of the other things that came with this little anniversary set is a little spinner model that it has oh i always wanted that it's a little cute little spinner car <laughs> it's neat to see it in like 3d like you can turn it around i mean it's like very tiny but it's still like a fun little thing to <laughs> to look at my dad also has in the hallway um he has like a couple uh blade runner thing like poster things they're like i forget what you call it but it's almost like uh one of those like post i need to look up what it says on it but it like has different images of the different like promotional poster images on it and i think it was something that was sent to theaters that's cool and he does have a full poster somewhere uh the uh this shot of uh joanna cassidy the the lighting on her is just so cool uh, well, not this shot, the previous one that we saw, because she she was getting hit from two sides with, like, a green light, a blue light, and a, a, a pink light simultaneously. Yeah, love all the neon lights here. This, she, it's so... <laughs> this is, what would... We should also talk about the uh, the curse of Blade Runner, where every company that has its logo in this movie, with the exception of Coca-Cola, eventually went bankrupt. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, so uh, this is another shot that they the... they redid for this because uh, is it this one here? Yeah, they had Joanna Cassidy come in and basically re-record, and they composited her head onto her you know younger body. Wasn't it a stunt double? Yeah, it was, so it was a stunt double who looked nothing like her and was wearing a wig that did not remotely match the character's hair. Yeah. And also, like, would switch back and forth between having uh, high heels and flats. So, basically, continuity fixes. And right. that's what I mean, like, about changes being, like, a kind of a good thing in this context. Because it's like, that is, a, that is a technical craft change you would want to make and would bother you as an artist. You know, like, why, why does she look different between these shots? And... Uh, I mean, I would never have wanted to have been tasked with that effect shot <laughs> of trying to make it look God, no. correct. And I think you can like barely tell, like looking at it, like you can kind of, if you're specifically trying to see it. Yeah, if 
if you know it's there, you can see it, but otherwise, no. Leon just happens to be there. Dead. Actually, no, she was probably running to meet him. That's true. <laughs> um, so uncomfortable. And this is probably why people didn't like Harrison Ford's character in this movie. Because <laughs> he shot a woman in the back. Yeah. Running, running for her life. Shot her dead. You better run, son. Yeah, and it's like the moment that really raises the question as to whether or not he's doing the right thing, which kind of isn't, <laughs> you know? It's people are just trying to exist. Another thing they did was removing the uh, the wires that were holding up that spinner. Oh, okay. Yeah, more, which is standard, standard practice for that kind of an effect. You would want to do that. Uh, he just ordered a Sing Tao, uh, which that is not what that bottle is. <laughs> but um, again, it was a Harrison Ford choice because apparently he really enjoys Sing Tao beer. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was going to say we saw a Budweiser sign, so Budweiser's still around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it managed to escape the curse. <laughs> yeah, but they're also just not good. <laughs> My favorite uh, Simpsons joke of all time. No, it's not. It's not true. But one of them. Is just when back when uh, I don't even know if younger people would get this joke, but there used to be a lot of Budweiser commercials with frogs, where it'd be like they just say, "We say Bud, why, sir?" Oh like, yeah, the one with the the alligator that comes uh, up and eats them yeah, and says cores. Yeah, the alligator comes up cores and eats all the Budweiser frogs, which was so satisfying if you'd seen those stupid commercials back then. Um, like during the Super Bowl or whenever they were showing them. But <laughs> I always imagine that whenever I think of Budweiser, I think of the Coors alligator from The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, so the the bottle that they handed him when he asked for a Sing Tao is actually like a rare Smirnoff bottle. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's one of those things that I look for that like, I have no, like, there's no real reason that, to actually own it, but it's cool. God, I'm just thinking about all the rain. All the rain they had to keep pouring on this stupid set. <laughs> and how sick they probably probably were <laughs> of being wet and having rain. <laughs> just like, can we stop pouring water? <laughs> well, like, so I'm running... Uh... A, a cyberpunk 2020 game for my my friends on sunday nights oh nice and like when i was kind of like establishing the world i'm like to me cyberpunk is always like one it's always nighttime two it's always raining and three everyone is filthy strung out and pissed off and part robot <laughs> <laughs> like this guy Four years. Yeah, like Harrison Ford really sells being thrown around, but his performance yeah, in the scene is always a little silly. I was just thinking about that. The faces he's making here are kind of, even though they maybe are realistic to how <laughs> maybe you would, like, because I imagine Wait, you're being tossed around. You would not. Here comes his, his like, worst line. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, so 
he's getting smacked by a guy who's basically a load lifter. Yeah. It's like getting smacked by a forklift. Rachel. Replicant killing another replicant. And uh, how did that bullet manage to miss <laughs> Decker? Because Leon's taller than him. <laughs> just barely. I'm just saying that could have gone awry very easily. Cool little detail. Watch. Ooh, the blood. The blood into the glass. Yeah. Very cool detail. I don't know if I've ever noticed that. That was very, very neat. Again slow moving film <laughs> at times mm -hmm. but that's what makes the violence kind of stand out because it is so like meditative and, and and thought through and then all of a sudden it's just people just getting hit yeah again it's very much a world it's a world building movie like it's it's less about what's happening in the movie than it is about showing you this world and which is weird because there are times where I don't like that sometimes where I'm like watching anything. It's like, I don't care about the world. I would just want a good story, but I make exceptions for things where the world is just so interesting. And this is one of those things like, and same with something like, I, I love the Lord of the Rings movies, but I would say in the books, I, the story is very dense for me and I do kind of read it more for the actual world building that comes out of the books. Um, and uh, I feel the same way kind of here. It's like, yeah, this is, I just, even though you wouldn't want to live in this world, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be in this world. It's like terrifying, but it's, it's just, it is one of the most interesting, believable science fiction uh, depictions I've ever seen still to this day. I can't think of anything that for me personally has really like approached the same exact territory. Um, well, the 2049 does a marvelous job in its own way. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it does a really good job of being like, yeah, the world's only gotten shittier. <laughs> My only complaint with 2049 is that sometimes it looked too clean. That was like a thing where I was like, this is so pretty that it almost doesn't feel dirty enough. <laughs> like it needs to be dirtier. Um, but, uh. Or, well, and it also it also depends on where you are in that movie too, because like when uh, Ryan Gosling's character goes back to his apartment and it's just like, yeah, that place is filthy. It looks disgusting. It's so interesting that that twenty forty nine follows a very emotionally neutral for the most part uh, main character, like that it is about a replicant hunting down it's just like i love that they were able to make that work yeah. in the sequel because it sounds like it wouldn't and like you would just be bored <laughs> actually the the opening scene of 2049 is the original opening scene of this movie the whole thing where he's sitting in the guy's house uh when he comes in like there's the pot of stew on the stove oh yeah like that that's all from the original opening scene of this movie that's pretty cool, actually. I didn't realize it. And you can see her replicant eyes. Mm -hmm. And there's his. Very, yeah, very. And it's like faint enough that it's... Debatable. Debatable. <laughs> Again, the score. It like 
just it kicks in just when it needs to. I love the perspective in this shot. So simple, but so evocative. I love when you see like aberration, like lighting, little bits of the lighting just kind of, I don't know what to, to call it, but it's like not quite lens flares, but just little tiny things that show up in the lenses just because of how much light was being shot around everywhere constantly. <laughs> Yeah, just like little, like, uh, little glares, almost artifacts. Yeah, like little li lighting artifacts showing up. Yeah, because of how it was shot. And every so often, like, scenes are just a little bit out of focus from what, like, might be like the perfect version of the shot, but it doesn't really bother me. I think it's, oh, God, the horn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's actually. <laughs> That shot there of her pose is kind of nice. Nice silhouette. So back when it was a thing we could do, uh, going drinking in downtown, I would <laughs> go to like a rooftop bar and have a, uh, have a cocktail and cue up this music and just like look out over LA. That's a thing that <laughs> I've done more than twice. That's a very you thing to do. <laughs> Shut up. You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> you feel you put the you turn on the smoke machine in your room you uh <laughs> sit there and hold your you know what cocktail. i what? moved to this city so i could live where movies take place <laughs> no one's gonna take that away from me look at the chiaroscuro on her hands there is it technically chiaroscuro if it's not a drawing yeah yeah chiaroscuro uh, applies to uh well, I believe so. <laughs> it hasn't uh, stopped me. <laughs> I, clearly. I don't think that's how that works, though. I think it's just called shadows in real life. <laughs> no, I think it's a, a term for harsh for harsh lighting. Uh, but I will I will check this. Yeah, the effect of contrasted light and shadow created by light falling unevenly on uh, or from a particular direction on something it can yeah i mean i see it here it used in painting but it it can apply to photos or any any medium really it's just more of a term about the light yeah that sounds like some definition two bullshit <laughs> in art the use of strong contrast between light and dark <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't take me to court on the definition of like, chiaroscuro. <laughs> are, are you really going to die on this hill? I'm going to die on this doing? very black and white hill. <laughs> Which in and of itself is a reference to, to chiaroscuro. So, so unnecessary. The origin, I will admit, the origin is in drawing. It comes from, from drawing and painting. Cinema and photography. There's a whole Wikipedia section here on cinema and photography. Whatever. This isn't noir. This is neo-noir. You, you, you're saying noir like you're from Boston. Noir. 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 <laughs> Noia. Noia. There's an R on the end of that word. The, sh the chat noir. 
And here we go. The most uncomfortable kissing scene. Well, no, right, I just, right here it's fine. Like, this is okay. This is, this is okay. It still feels weird to me. Because he doesn't, like, kiss her. He kind of, like, rubs his face against her cheek. I well, don't know. Kissing the, neck is, uh, kissing the neck can be very nice. But, like, okay, but now she's silly. changing her mind. Now she's going okay. to leave. Let her leave, man. Uh, yeah, okay, you're right. This is where it jumps from... This is not, yeah, if there's anything in the film that drags it down, I think, <laughs> I think my, when 2049 came out, uh, we, I basically, I hosted a bunch of people to watch the final cut and then watched all the short films in between. And then we went to the Vista to go see 2049, but like, it's where I saw it too. we're all watching the movie, having a great time. And then literally everyone just like this scene came out, it's just like, so how's everybody doing? Like, <laughs> just talk what's up with you it. guys? I feel like we haven't talked in a while. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like, let's all not focus on this. Yeah. I don't want to say, I, I saw uh, the sequel at uh, the Vista as well. It was very close by. Yeah, I, I can see that this is, especially in a, I, I feel uncomfortable talking to you while this scene is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not great. <laughs> I think my dad and I agree on this too. Like he, like we agree that this love story just does not, like in this part of the movie, just does not work. Which, which is crazy because twenty forty nine sets it up like it's a really like tragic love story, and it's just like, ah, is it though? Oh yeah, you believe it. Yeah, you believe it in twenty forty nine, but it's just like, ah. I mean, like I, I get what they're going for, like in some regard that that it's like, as someone who's not sure of anything, she is like really unsure about even like going into that realm with somebody but it's just the way it's acted though uh on the left hand side the left hand side there's a building that uh urban legend is that it's the millennium falcon being repurposed oh really (laughs) yeah i love the the eyes this is like almost jokery makeup here it's very harley quinn yeah. <laughs> Mr. J. <laughs> All these living toys are just terrifying. <laughs> the one guy there on the right. Yeah, this guy, like, he's watching her. And he's, like, losing his shit watching her. He's like, wake up, boss. Wake up. Yeah, I forget how sentient are the toys. I uh, more than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> but are they like a, able to communicate anything? Like, are they? What are they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I kind of like that it never fully explains it. I mean, I feel the same. Like, like that Napoleonic teddy bear. Like, how sentient is that thing? Because that's <laughs> horrifying. Even that's like, I mean, that's, that's interesting. Gives him a, a means of 
like it links him to them mm-hmm. you know that like they both kind of have a similar premature aging situation <laughs> How freaked out would you be? God, he's so good. Rucker Howard is just so good mm-hmm. at this character. Like, without even like saying a whole lot, you know. It's just his presence alone. All the water on his face. And the makeup from just making out with her. Oh, yeah. Continuity. Imagine that. Mm. I wonder if that was intentional or it was just an accident. <laughs> And this film is very similar in pacing to another Ridley Scott film that came out just before it. Uh, Alien is also a very slow-moving sci-fi film. And uh, and I think a good, maybe a good way of like determining whether or not <laughs> you would end up liking uh, which one more is asking yourself, do you like alien or do you like aliens? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is is because uh, do you therefore do you like Blade Runner or Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Because they, you know, even though Blade Runner is still uh, twenty forty nine is a slow movie, it definitely feels a little more on the actiony heavy side of things, and uh, and I think that like again, it it's just like. I feel like kind of our attention spans have shifted over time a little bit, and now there's less inclination to sit through slow-moving things. But I love Alien. I love the first one. <laughs> it, it's it's great. I uh, I got to see it at it was it wasn't a drive-in, but it was like uh, basically everyone just came and sat on blankets to watch it in a parking lot, which was a lot of fun. Hmm. And I was there with a girl who had never seen it before. That's an experience I strongly recommend, is watching <laughs> Alien with somebody who's never seen Alien. <laughs> That'd be fun. Be fun to get, like, an actual uh, fresh reaction from somebody. I mean, I, I've, I've probably told the story before, but one of the best, like, cinematic experiences I've ever had was watching uh, Soylent Green with my mom. Because, like, halfway through the movie, she goes, they keep talking about Soylent Green. What is it? And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> I never found out. It'd be like watching Star Wars and someone's like, who is that Darth Vader? Like, <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, boy, you actually don't know. That's great. Right, right. <laughs> how, how did you avoid having this ruined for you? I mean, on the off chance that anybody here hasn't seen or heard the uh, the conclusion of Soylent Green, I'm not going to spoil it. But like, uh, my sister was telling me about how she was in a meeting once, 
and mm. like they were waiting for the meeting to start and her boss just like walked into the room and shouted the last line of that movie no and like <laughs> Snape she's like Dumbledore. what are you talking about he's like oh you've never seen it she's like no he's like yeah i just ruined it for you so anyway <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of um I think that happened to my friend Aaron or somebody the, the, where like they were watching Saw or, or wait, no. Yeah. Like, I think it was Saw. It was, uh, they were watching Saw for the first time. And, uh, and then at the end it was like, somebody walked in and went like, oh, it's so crazy that like he's in the room the whole time or something. <laughs> and right, they're like, right. what? And because they didn't know, because they hadn't gotten to the ending yet. And it's like, wait, what? No. <laughs> and so they spoiled like the whole <laughs> like point of that reveal at the end. It's like, no, that's like the best part about Saw. <laughs> you know, I never finished that franchise. Like I that's sat fine. down, I think I got through like the first five of them. That's impressive. Yeah, well, they were all on Netflix. Like, the first five were all on Netflix for a while. And then I have HBO Max now, which is what I'm watching this on now. Uh, HBO, if you'd like to give us some money, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I have HBO Max now. And so I was able to, like, sit down and be like, oh, the rest of the Saw movies are here. I never finished these. So I put and put the next one on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not into this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think if I were to go back to the first one and, like, power through it again, I could probably finish the franchise. But it's one of those ones where it's like, it really is, like, the first one really is the best movie. And then it gives you enough momentum to keep going through the franchise. Hmm. This is a fun, unrelated thing. Um, I'm a big fan of Red Dwarf. <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh, sci-fi sitcoms. <laughs> it's because there's so many. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that series had a special called Back to Earth at one point that they essentially just reenact this entire scene. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> they just like, we're just full full stop. We're just going to do Blade Runner for this portion of, of the whole <laughs> special. Um, but uh, I, I, I just, I want Tyrell's bedroom. I want the, the bathrobe you see him in later. Like this man has fucking style. Like, who comes in and lights and puts out all those candles for him when he right. goes to bed? <laughs> yeah, that's completely superfluous for, like, a man living alone. <laughs> Just, like, on my own. This is purely for my own atmosphere and enjoyment. And so I can now play chess. And he lives in the future. It's not like he needs candles. <laughs> there are other ways to get this lighting effect. I love the trope, too, when you have... Like something in the, that's a thing in like futuristic movies where there's like one person, it's like Picard. It's like Picard with his like photo albums, you know, and it's just kind of like, would he really have something that, I mean, he's like old fashioned, but he's still from the future himself. Like, <laughs> it's like, I get, I get being kind of interested by the past, but it's, it's so obviously just a thing there for relatability for the audience watching it but Jean-Luc Picard the most English Frenchman in history <laughs> you're not wrong underlighting 
the side of that building is just go ah that owl such a cute owl such a cute yeah it's like a, a status symbol to own a living animal because everybody owns fake animals mm. and like yeah this is an artificial owl but yeah look at this robe i want that robe <laughs> it it looks like it's made of terry cloth and there's like a lattice effect it looks so comfy If we have any listeners who like to sew things, I mean, I'm not offering to pay you, but if you feel like making a robe, let me know. Well, and I wonder if there is an, another implication to the owl I was just thinking about, because owl is also like the symbol of Athena in Greek mythology and of goddess of wisdom. So I wonder if there is an implication that like, you know, Tyrell is the one that like granted thought to these replicants and so in a way it's like visiting their god that granted them the ability to think you know it wouldn't surprise me and i mean even uh if you look on his robe he has the tyrell corporation insignia and it, it's an owl yeah that seems almost too like that seems almost too hard to have not made specific <laughs> and like if you're gonna make it the very symbol of the company And all the deaths that happen in this movie are just so slow and matter of fact and painful. And you'll see like with the one coming up. Oh, Leon's wasn't very slow. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's like it, they're not all like even the one that has like a gunshot. I was going to say they're not like bang, you're dead. And it's like even the one that gets shot, the movie purposely slows down to like sit with it for way longer than is comfortable as the person is falling, you know? Yeah. I mean, Leon just kind of, you know, seizes for a second before he hits the ground, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not comforting. Right. <laughs> And the implications, too, of, like, creating sentient beings to, like, be slaves, essentially. Like, yeah. And, like, they're, they're, they're bio-organic. Like, they're not really robots. They're organic beings. It's like using a, a, a technicality, you know, to... The sound here, yeah, is really more than anything what sells it. Oh, and I forget how they did that. I think I can't remember. If it was like a prosthetic. I'm pretty sure it was of his face or something that they had. To... But this is what I mean. So that that that's one of the things that was in the uh, the European theatrical cut. Uh, in the American version, like, you didn't see the blood coming out of his eyes. Understandable that they probably... 
we're trying to tone it down just a little bit. Yeah, how do you market this film? If you were like handed it at the time, like who is this for? What do we <laughs> So yeah, he's he's going to go off and kill Sebastian right now and that's like completely off screen. Yeah, that always kind of bothered me a little bit that you don't see Sebastian's death. But you know he's dead. And it's like you kind of deserved to see him die. Like you you end up hearing about it later on, like Deckard hears about it over the radio. He's the most undeserving, too. It's like Roving bands of little people. Yeah. I mean, that's what I hope happens, honestly. I'd be, ha I'd be happy about that. Yeah, and the narrative of this... It, I feel like other movies might cut back and forth a little more. You know, between... Because it's like a while between seeing Deckard sometimes. I love that exchange. <laughs> I'm working. What are you doing? Arresting you. That's what I'm doing. Do <laughs> that, <laughs> do that. Lights, high fidelity screen. <laughs> uh, tin can opening up that car. Again, world building. Matte painting? How did they do that shot? Yeah, yeah. So cool. Like, it's it's a multi-layer composite shot, but yeah, it's like matte painting, but also, mm. did you see the, the flying uh, traffic? Yeah. Well, and this is before uh, Back to the Future as well yeah and honestly it's interesting to me because like the only flying cars other than that shot the only flying cars you see in this are police cars other than that like everybody uh, has ground cars which i i almost feel like that might be what would happen initially if we did get flying cars yeah it'd be like no civilians aren't getting that right away are you out of your mind <laughs> like that would be the reaction <laughs> uh dubai actually has flying taxis right now how just that that's how <laughs> is my question they're they're basically like gigantic quadcopters okay uh, I, I think they have like eight rotors or whatever so octocopters but yeah it's like a little passenger compartment suspended from the bottom of this gigantic rig of rotors and you can apparently call it with an app and it'll come pick you up on one skyscraper and carry you to another skyscraper What fun. Yeah. Dubai sounds like an amazing place, unless you're somebody who actually lives there and isn't part of the 1%. <laughs> 
I wanted to point out earlier, I like that we canonically acknowledge that this is the Bradbury building. Yes. Like you very clearly see it say that out front. And it's not like, well, oh, and also when they give uh, JF Sebastian's uh, address, they say Bradbury Apartments. Does that mean there are other people here? Yeah. That that shot of her turning her head. Mm-hmm. Errol Hannah. I'm bored. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love the the subtle, like nonsensical uh, sound of the spotlight sweeping by. I guess that's it. Could be considered the sound of the spotlight. <laughs> that's the thing. Like Ridley Scott does a really great job with stuff like that, where it's like. It's like it's not even necessarily world buildy, but it's the same thing as like the uh, the water reflective lighting in Tyrell's office at the beginning of the movie. It's like it's unmotivated and yet somehow it just feels right. Right. Yeah, I'd say it's it calls attention to itself a little bit more than other types of like Hollywood lighting would. But tons of Hollywood lighting is unmotivated. Like if you really pay attention to it, tons of times there aren't light sources for the way that you're able to see it. it's just because these are more kind of artistic uh notable things that are being done it's like wait yeah why is why is there's like 20 lights in this shot alone that are like going around like mm-hmm. um but it's be, it's in a similar way i would argue to what uh expressionism or impressionism like movements where it's like the world reflects kind of a mental or emotional state of the characters and the people in it it's not literal the world itself is not like totally literal there's there is artistic liberty taken with it I yeah mean, and I mean, uh, they like they more or less choreographed this themselves uh harrison ford was like no no, no don't worry about me just go all in yeah <laughs> There are worse ways to die. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that looks so fucking painful. Jesus. Oh, holding you by your nostrils. Now, why did you think this was going to work? There goes my hard drive. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> no, I've... I've... I'm glad you brought it back. <laughs> I was thinking it too. <laughs> Again, not a quick death. No. <laughs> Long and violent and involved and full of misery. I mean, Leon is the only real quote unquote fast death in this movie. Unless you count the uh, off screen one of Sebastian. <laughs> right. That was probably long and prolonged and painful. We have the last, the last of the off-world replicants. And I love it, just the the idea of this machine-made man 
starting to go more and more primal as he gets closer to death. It's just like, yeah, because he loses more and more of his clothing and he just starts acting more and more like a wild animal. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's such an interesting concept because it's like, he's a man with absolutely nothing left. Yeah. And, you know, that it would be understandable for a normal, normal human man to end up going somewhat primal in this scenario. And the fact that he's not, he's a replicant. Like, this movie, when I finally was able to watch it and really get it, which, uh, not gonna lie, we've helped, but, um, <laughs> yeah, like, the, As it often the does. questions that it raises of, you know, what, what makes a human a human, like, ah, it's real mindfucky. I love that the movie essentially calls him out, <laughs> you know, at that point, like. Mm. Like that, love this close up, just water dripping. Yeah, it almost feels like for all of the, cause there's been action and violence and things happening throughout the movie in, in a sparing ratio to the rest of it. But it feels like it kind of plays all of its cards here. Yeah. Like this is, this is the sequence where it really just is like, all right, you've been waiting ah. <laughs> the whole time. We're going to start breaking fingers. And he gives him his gun back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to screw with him. Because he knows he's going to die, so it's like... So what does it matter, you know? I mean, he also, like, he doesn't know when he's going to die. I think he feels it, though, because, like, he... Because he's been looking at his hand when it starts like... Seizing up, yeah. Seizing up. And I think he's just... He feels that he's close. And so it's kind of like... Yeah, he knows it's coming. He just doesn't know when. So why not give him back his gun? Just turn this into a game because he has nothing else to do. He can't... He cannot win no matter what happens. Yeah, he's not going to get his life extended. He's lost anyone who means a damn to him. And he's done terrible things. Yeah. And he knows he's he's done terrible things. And it's all conveyed so well. And it's like, like, that's what's interesting is when a movie has someone who's like a murderer, someone who's done horrendous acts, but... We literally just he, watched him crush a man's head in his hands. Yeah. Like, you see him very violently kill someone and yet you still somehow feel empathy for what he's going through and that's impressive to me that you, it, it can do that god that looks like it painful yeah again like harrison ford sells physical pain <laughs> and he's good in the sequel too yeah spoilers <laughs> i like i like his presence in the sequel i think he 
he followed it up in a it looked like he had a good time doing it. it looked like he had a better time doing it than doing han solo to be honest <laughs> yeah well i mean he he hates playing han solo like that's a known thing <laughs> Supposedly, it was part of his contract to come back as Han Solo that they have to make another Indiana Jones movie, and that's currently in pre-production. <laughs> I mean, if you had the power to make to like make it happen, <laughs> like why not? And yeah, here he's taking his clothes off, howling, running after him. Yeah, you probably probably should have kept that. What are we going to talk about on the other, <laughs> when we finally do watch the other cuts of this? I feel like whenever we come back and like, all right, let's watch the theatrical, let's watch the international. Like, we're we're going to start getting a little more like. Uh, <laughs> we too will go primal. Yeah, we too will start to lose our minds and start howling, looking for things to. No, I'm. But I was thinking about that when we were watching it. How like during certain scenes, I'm like, oh, there's like six things I want to say about this particular sequence and you have to you have to pick one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> good hand acting yeah now and now he really knows it's coming well and then we have the almost i i guess sort of a biblical feeling kind of moment here the way he the way he deals with it right It's such a long nail. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm sure that. Yep. Ah. Oh, that's mm. a, that's mm. right. I forgot. You see it popping through the other side of his hand. Uh huh. Um. Well, that's really makes it feel more like Christ <laughs> being being nailed. Like, because it would be a long nail. It wouldn't just be like some tiny thing you prick into your hand. God. <laughs> Here, here's Johnny. Uh, yeah, and just like working in the like malfunctioning parts where he's like, he's, I don't know, it'd just be so fun to do something like this where it's like you're breaking. You're trying to like act someone who's breaking. <laughs> Yeah, this I don't know if I ever like noticed it as heavily just because this is the first time I've ever watched this movie with headphones on, but the sound really sells the violence oh, yeah. whenever it happens. Like that the sound of the metal just hitting him like That is a long way down, sir. <laughs> I love how long you can see around the building there. Mhm. Yeah, for as for as slow moving and boring as you could say the rest of the film is, this whole sequence is to me one of the most intense, engaging chase scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It it feels so brutal, and the fact that it's just two, just cat and mouse between these two characters. Yeah, and he's he's not just chasing him; he's playing with him. Uh, yeah, that's why I say cat and mouse, because he's, like, very actively. <laughs> yeah, like, he has zero doubt that he can kill Deckard. Like, he literally stood there and let Deckard hit him in the face with a pipe twice. Yep. <laughs> because he knows that, like, yeah, the pipe's not going to be what kills me, and I can kill him with no problem. 
or he like kind of falls micro sleeps there for a moment pulls himself yeah back I, in. <laughs> i've always loved that shot of him like kind of sweeping back into the building <laughs> And yeah, you really, like, you don't necessarily know who to root for here. Because both these characters have, like, murdered other beings. And so it's kind of like, well, <laughs> if one of them died, I mean, they kind of both deserve death in a way. But you still don't want either of them to end this way. And in a way, they don't. Yeah, I mean... Roy, Roy's been doing it so that he could prolong his life, though, really, when he killed Tyrell, it was because he was just mad. Yeah. Um, at least Deckard's doing it because it's his job, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. These windmills are not motorized. They had to, like, start them turning by hand before every shot. Oh, no. And just have enough momentum. Yeah. What? There's like five of them there. <laughs> yep. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I feel like you could put some music to that and change the, the vibe. Now, when has it ever worked jumping from one? <laughs> You're not a parkour master, Deckard. But I guess, well, yeah, what are you supposed to do? And every time, yeah, Vangelis' score just like... And he just picked up a dove at some point. Yeah, where does he get the dove? Like... There was that room full of pigeons earlier. He's just been holding it. <laughs> like, how long has he been holding it? <laughs> and the dove is and like... The dove's so calm. I know, I always like thought about that. Like, the dove seems kind of chill. All things considered, like, it's not too mad. And it's clearly a real dove. It wasn't in his hand there, I don't think. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to frame by frame through it, but it looked like his left hand suddenly didn't have a dove when he's jumping across the building. Did I find a continuity error in the final? I don't think you did, because it looked like there was a dove in his hand, but... Oh, is there? <sighs> find out next time on <laughs> when we watch the theatrical <laughs> cut <laughs> I have a mondo print of this moment nice And catching him with the hand with the nail in it. Yeah, the failing hand. And you could make so many, like, discussions and arguments about, like, why he does this. Why does he save him? Is it just because he wanted someone to witness his own death? Is it because he felt sorry for him? What is the reason? I think it's because his entire crusade for life, and here he is at the very end of his, and... He just, yeah, I think it, it has to do partially with because he, he's gained a sudden respect for life in his final moments, but also, yeah, he wants to be able to give this little speech. Things you people wouldn't believe. 
It's so good. This this part is just. All those moments. Time. And like Tears and Rain, this... I mean, I, I know it's hyperbolic, but like, it is possibly top five lines from anything for me. Possibly, yeah. Like, uh, you're you're about to see like my favorite single addition to this movie. This shot right here, fixing the sky. Yeah, <laughs> not just fixing the sky, but the building itself and everything. Like, yeah, <laughs> because in, in the theatrical cut, it's literally like a blue sky and just the side of a studio building. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait a minute, it doesn't look right. But yeah, like, to me, the entire film is just a justification for having this scene. Yeah. And that was my, I think that was the point I, when, when 2049 came out, I think I argued that like consistently 2049 has maybe a better quality overall in certain ways than this movie, but there's no moment in 2049 for me that like tops tears and rain specifically that this scene is like just one of the best in any film I've ever, I've ever watched. Yeah. Finished. <laughs> Where did he come from? How did he find him here? How did he find his gun? Yeah. And then this is another great line coming up. Too bad she won't live. <laughs> but then I don't mean to laugh. But then again, who does is something that like my dad and I will occasionally throw in to <laughs> just to conversations without need, without any necessary reason for it. It's like, it's like it could be something stupid. It's like we can't, we don't have any ice cream. But then again, who does? Like, it's just like, <laughs> come up for, like, not completely unmotivated. Um, but I always just love that line. The way he delivers it is really satisfying. Yeah. And it's very kind of playful, too, because it's like he, it's kind of messing with him a little bit. And again, like he's he's physically selling the fact that he's had the absolute shit kicked out of him in the last few hours. Right. He shouldn't be able to walk, really. <laughs> well, and just the the sinking fear is Rachel okay? I do think that for me, what doesn't work about the relationship is more specifically that scene and the way it's played. Yeah. But I do feel... Everything like, else about their relationship is actually really well done. Yeah. That's what I was, was trying to like... It's that that scene is just... Ugh. 
Yeah, like this is whole, like this is a meaningful scene. It's like you would feel this way coming back trying to like check and see if, if they're okay. So uh, Deckard's pistol, there's actually like, uh, I think it was like a dollar store toy gun that is modeled on Deckard, Deckard's pistol. And so it's something that a lot of cosplayers have been picking up is this like super cheap dollar store toy gun that oh. someone just kind of modeled on the Blade Runner gun and just no one seems to have noticed but cosplayers. <laughs> I mean, I've known a few cosplayers in my time. I remember um, a trick... I saw was like taking Nerf guns sometimes. Like there was one that was like made to look like an oversized pistol. So it was a perfect gun for steampunk because it looked kind of cartoony, but it still looked realistic. And all you had to do was just give it a paint job. Yeah. Um, and uh, Chris and I had to do that for a music video that we did one time, which was Star Wars, um, which was him playing a Han Solo actually in it. And uh we found a blaster toy. I think at like one of the Halloween stores on Magnolia. And, and here's the unicorn. Here's the unicorn. And we just spray painted it to look like a real blaster. And you couldn't, yeah, like up close you could tell, but from a distance it looked great. Right. <laughs> uh, which this unicorn is in the theatrical version, but it doesn't really mean anything. I think it... Maybe... Unless you have the unicorn dream earlier, which is not in the theatrical version. Well, it does mean that... James Olmos's character was there at the very least. Gaff, that's his name. Gaff, like that. That it, the main. It does mean that he like showed up and he chose not yeah. to kill Rachel or do anything about but, it. But but now it means that like not only did he show up and choose not to kill her, but he also knows that Deckard is a replicant because he's aware of his yeah. dreams in this, and memories. In this version, that's the other implication of it. I'm just saying, like the difference in the in the original version is merely just that he let her live yeah and but i like the extra layer of like is he who who knows you know um sid mead visual futurist Woo. um and yeah i like also that it cuts directly to credits after the elevator and we don't have the b footage from the shining yeah uh <laughs> showing them driving off to live their lives yeah and like the monologue being like and it turns out that rachel was like a special kind of replicant that wasn't gonna die early and she <laughs> was gonna have a happy life forever and ever right and that's a thing that they could i like in this movie in this version it's, it's still like yeah that's possible that she was built without an expiration date but you kind of don't it, it like makes it more interesting to be left with that question is she going to die? Who knows? She might She might survive. We have no idea. And I love the question mark it leaves you with um, at the very end. is a lot more satisfying than any answer it could give. Um, but yeah, that's Blade Runner. That's yeah. probably the freaking 10th time I've seen it. <laughs> I, I really don't know how many times I've seen it at this point. Probably, I guess if I count some of the other versions, it's probably a, maybe a couple... Maybe it's like 20 times. I don't know. Um, so, like, I think for me, um, you know, I think it's has partially to do with being on the spectrum. But uh, I I kind of have a tendency to jump from, like, you know, thing I'm interested in to an obsessive degree to another thing I'm interested in to an obsessive degree. And, like, each of these will last for, like, maybe, you know, a month or so. And when I got my copy of Blade Runner, like, that was definitely... I watched this movie obsessively for like two, three months. Hmm. Uh, like, 
you know, went through all five cuts, came back to the final cut, watched the final cut exhaustively. Watched the commentary. Watched every special feature, all the commentaries, yeah. Uh, even even the work print commentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a similar experience with it once I had the box set. Where I really just kind of went to town, <laughs> like through through each one. I mean, hilariously I, enough, I I sorry, I just noticed that like two of my company's clients are in the credits of this movie. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the closest thing I can come up with is maybe Lord of the Rings, uh, the extended editions. I remember, though, I had like obviously saw all those as they were coming out. Um, I remember one time for whatever reason, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go through all the stuff <laughs> that's on these collections. <laughs> I don't know if I ever finished it, but I did watch through, because uh, you know there's four commentary tracks on on each extended uh, cut of, of I Lord did of not Rings. know that. There are four. There's one for uh, director, producer, writer. There's one for post-production. Um, there's one for actors, and there's one for pre-production. And those four commentaries go across all three movies. And so one time when I was working on like an animated project, I just decided I was going to watch beginning to end each commentary from Fellowship to Return of the King. And so I went, I went through all four commentaries watching Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King, Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King, Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King, until I finally got to the end. You're a madman. Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King. And um, it was very satisfying, though. And I will say, if anyone is ever interested in watching any of those, the actor one is the best. Um, <laughs> that's the funniest one to listen to. Um, but uh, but there's, there's interesting stuff in all of them. And it's really cool hearing, like, a commentary with concept artists and with uh, Howard Shore as well, talking about music and, um, but yeah, that's I I know what you mean when you say like that kind of obsessive state where <laughs> you're like, I really am focusing on this for like way more than I should for a short period of time, and then I will completely walk away, <laughs> not and, yeah, and, yeah, and be done. <laughs> and it's like this is just information that lives in my head now, and off to something else now. Well, that's why we're doing this. That's why yeah. we're doing this little this little podcast. Yeah, uh, this is, it's actually exactly why. Like when I first pitched this idea to you, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about movies because there's so much shit in my brain. <laughs> is that dedication? Is that uh, dedication to Philip K. Dick in all versions? I, I honestly, I don't remember. That'd be curious to, to look out for that in the other ones. Um, when we do eventually do another four, five, six episodes. How many? <laughs> God knows how many. Are we going to include the, um, the uh, what's it called? Uh, there's the animated short that was done by uh, the Cowboy Bebop director. Yeah, so I've been thinking about that. What I'd like to do is just do one episode that is all of the shorts back to back. That would be good. Yeah, I think that that would be fun to like watch through each of the the vignettes. One. So I think in total we could do like seven <laughs> episodes on this. Uh, yeah, yeah, that the, sounds the, good. The Shinichiro Watanabe one is like is so cool, and it was so neat to see him do another short kind of tie in to a film sci-fi film franchise because he also did two of the animatrix shorts well so what i'm what i'm actually very excited about is that um he is doing a uh ongoing series mm. 
like uh, it's called Blade Runner Black Lotus. Really? And is so, this is in progress right now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, like I didn't know about this. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's like being made right now. So nice. I'm uh, very I'm, excited about it. I I am super excited too. I had no idea that was happening. Ooh, that makes yeah. If anybody, if I would hand it to anybody in an animated medium to to try and tackle this, that just makes me really excited. Um, I I really want like uh, Hampton Fancher and uh, Harrison Ford are both on board to do a third Blade Runner feature, hmm. and it's just a matter of like you know getting the studio to back them on it. Really, well, did twenty forty nine do well when it, it came? It really out? didn't. It didn't. So it's kind of hard to justify because it's this weird duck where it's like it it it's kind of it doesn't do well in theaters, but then people like applaud them later. <laughs> like these are great but well, they... yeah they're 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 critical masterpieces but the, it's one of those things where it's like this is it's the uh the the problem of you know film as an art versus film as an industry yeah and these movies are very much like they exist because film is an art and it's hard to justify them in the industry yeah in fact they're kind of signs of why you shouldn't do this if you look at them purely on a on a numbers <laughs> level it's like if you do this you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot and i think 2049 was an interesting experiment that they're like well maybe it'll do well again because enough has changed since then but nope also didn't <laughs> also didn't do well so i'd love if they tried to visit this world one more time honestly um, i think i think once black lotus comes out like that's going to be the decider. I think the success of Black Lotus will dictate whether or not we get a third Blade Runner. Philip K. Dictate. Um, <sighs> anyway, <Okay. All> right. <laughs> but thank you uh, to anyone who has sat through this two hours of us watching Blade Runner. Um, yeah, and uh, and I hope that that the world doesn't look like this the next time we step outside. But who knows? And, uh, and hopefully Who fucking knows, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully things improve in the next few months. I have faith. I have, I have some hope that <laughs> the world might get better. You know what? 2021 is seeming like a brighter, happier world than 2020. But at the same time, every time in 2020, I started to have that thought <laughs> I'd wake up the next day to a brand new fucking nightmare. Right. <laughs> so what to quote, yeah. to quote, uh, <laughs> Roger, from American Dad, uh, what fresh new hell is this? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I use that a lot, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, should we give our handles uh, at this point? Yeah. Um, Who are we? Uh, so, yeah, you can, uh, I'm Adam, you can find me uh, at Dungeons and Daleks on all of the social medias and uh, check out my website, uh, of distantlands.com which by the way I'm putting together a uh, about to start a crowdfunding campaign for my audiobook so look for that yeah. coming out soon yeah, very excited about that I'm excited to to hear more about it as well it seems really cool yeah um, it's uh, it's going to be it's ambitious it's going to be more than just like a regular audiobook uh, I'm trying something new using some interesting technology and it's going to be 
I, I'm looking at it kind of like making a movie in the time of COVID, but more than that, it's it's going to put the listener in three-dimensional space within the the world of the book. So Yeah, sounds yeah. exciting. Should be cool, should be cool. And, uh, and I am Dax. <laughs> I am at Dax Schaefer on instagrams and twitters and the facebook's don't follow me on facebook <laughs> and uh we are at cinepraisal on all those same things although do follow do yeah in fact do follow yeah, us do on follow. facebook on the cinepraisal page yes please yeah, do follow that one um <laughs> I at least don't follow me on Facebook because I don't really use it anymore personally. But but yeah, well, don't uh, follow me on Facebook because I don't I don't uh, accept friend requests from people I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like there was a time where it was kind of like you would accept a lot of people, but after Twitter oh, and Instagram, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, after those things became more of a thing, it's like, well, no, we don't need to. <laughs> Once upon a time, I Facebook friended like random people I met in bars. Like that was a thing to do. Uh, no, no. Then you get to a point where you're like, I can't maintain this many friends. <laughs> I can't actually like keep in contact with this many people. Um, but follow our thing uh, and we will post things and more episodes on other films that are long and boring. <laughs> and some that are short and fun. Right, hopefully. I uh, just want to note we, last We run time, the gamut. We run the gamut. Last time I said after Big Lebowski, because it was four people... <laughs> it's a long movie and i said hey can the next one be a short movie and then like a week <laughs> like a week ago or whatever you're like let's do blade runner <laughs> next one like son of a bitch <laughs> well, okay so, movie. <laughs> so what you said was can it be a short movie or something with just the two of us and i'm like well we wording. can do just the two of us <laughs> My wording, I see. We'll have to uh, we'll have to pick out one that's a little shorter and sweeter next time. But um, um, so, like at, at some point, I do still want to do uh, Twister with Liz from uh, Your Favorite Problematic and FMK. So sure, yeah, because sure. she she grew up in Tornado Country and has oh all God. kinds of opinions about that movie. So. So yeah, maybe maybe we do that next. But you know, whenever you feel like editing multiple uh, multiple tracks, I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna leave that ball in your court. Uh, I'll, I'll throw it out the window. No, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do something with that ball. Shoot a few hoops. Anyway, thanks for following us. And uh, remember, keep, keep watching, watching movies. movies. Let's do one more just in case. Well, real quick, just like, and I, I just want to say, uh, well, hold on. I just want to say thank you to our listeners. Uh, like, I appreciate the little bits of interaction that we have on our social medias. And just like knowing that there's somebody out there listening to us ramble is kind of cool. Yeah. So, you know, thank you to you guys. And yeah. It's a lot of fun. But anywho uh stay uh don't die to any uh detectives in a sci-fi future if you can avoid it if you can avoid it but yes remember keep, keep watching, watching movies. movies let's do a countdown three two one all right three two one keep, keep watching, watching movies. movies yeah that'll do it that's that's fine one of those is gonna work <laughs> all right i'm gonna stop recording now <laughs> <laughs>